We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 301 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Wednesday, April 27, 2022. One day away are we from the start of the 2022 NFL draft. We're almost there. We almost finally have made it. Uh, and could it be, might it be, that the commanders are trying to trade, maybe even are about to trade, one of their more high-profile players, Deron Payne, the defensive tackle, the interior defensive lineman, the product of Alabama. A very interesting and notable report on Payne came out on Tuesday morning from a good friend, of the Al Galdi podcast. Commander's insider Ben Standing of The Athletic, uh, he reported that the commanders this offseason are not expected to offer Payne a contract extension. Uh, understand the 2022 season is set to be a contract season for Payne. So if the team isn't going to even offer Payne a contract extension, and is setting the stage for him to leave the team via unrestricted free agency next offseason, then to me, the team needs to trade Payne. Uh, next segment, I will discuss the Duran Payne situation at length. Uh, remember the Bama skins? <laughs> remember all of the Alabama guys on the Redskins, on Washington, especially on defense, right? We had Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne and Reuben Foster and Ryan Anderson and Sean Dion Hamilton and Landon Collins. Yeah, uh, the Bama skins have been dropping like flies in recent years. Uh, perhaps Deron Payne will be next. Uh, Jonathan Allen may end up being the last man standing in terms of the Bama skins on Washington. Uh, Also on the show, I will discuss a unique aspect of this receiver-rich 2022 draft. The many intriguing receivers coming off 
torn ACLs. Uh, three of the more highly regarded receivers in the draft are coming off torn ACLs. What should this mean for the commanders? Should the commanders consider taking any of these guys? Uh, one of the guys is a Bama guy, uh, Jamison Williams, and he may be the number one receiver in the draft, even with him coming off a torn ACL. Uh, I will talk Capitals. Uh, They on Tuesday night blew a golden opportunity to overtake the Pittsburgh Penguins for third in the Metropolitan Division. The Penguins on Tuesday night got ripped at home by the Edmonton Oilers 5-1, but the Caps on Tuesday night got ripped at home too. A 4-1 loss to the New York Islanders in the Caps' regular season home finale. Uh, Also, we now know that the Caps cannot be the top wildcard team in the Eastern Conference. So the Caps either will be the second wildcard team in the Eastern Conference, or the Caps will be, hopefully will be, the third place team in the Metro. Uh, No Alex Ovechkin for the Caps on Tuesday night due to his upper body injury and a bad performance by Ilya Samsonov on Tuesday night. Raise your hand if you feel great about the Caps goaltending going into the Stanley Cup playoffs. I do not. Uh, But lots to get into with the Caps, our Stanley Cup playoff-bound Caps, who on Tuesday night looked like anything but a playoff team. Uh, Speaking of not looking like a playoff team, I'll discuss the latest loss for the Nationals, uh, a six-consecutive loss, 5-2 the final to the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park on Tuesday night. This was a Josiah Gray game. Uh, That matters a lot whenever Josiah Gray pitches. This also was a game in which two Nats got thrown out at home in the same inning. And one of those Nats, Yadiel Hernandez, ran through the stop sign of the Nats third base coach, Gary DeSarcina, running through a stop sign. That is a major sin in the world of baseball. Not good. Uh, And I'll talk Orioles, a cray-cray game for them on Tuesday night, a 12-8 loss at the New York Yankees. Uh, The O's look like they're finally starting to hit, but their pitching is having some problems. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Michael King on something that we heard on Tuesday's show, episode 300. Uh, That something was from Ron Rivera during the Commander's pre-draft press conference on Monday afternoon. Writes Michael, it's driving me nuts. Ron Rivera needs to stop all of the Carolina references. Every interview, multiple times. He does not know that he accomplished very little there without peak Cam Newton and Cam's not walking through that door in Ashburn. But enough about being negative. Congrats on the 300th show. I have listened to everyone. Thanks so much for the pod. Delighted to always hear you when you are on the Zabin pod. Looking forward to the next 300 and beyond Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Mike. Uh, Much appreciated. Uh, Yeah, I have enjoyed going on the Zabecast. Uh, Steve Zabin has had Andy Polin and me on the Zabecast, and we have a lot of fun, a lot of laughs, a lot of hijinks and tomfoolery. Uh, As for Ron Rivera, as for Don Ron, and these constant references to Ron's time as Carolina Panthers head coach. Yeah, I mean, that's what Ron knows, you know? And he's not shy about telling us about what he knows. Uh, Now, I don't think that Ron constantly brings up stuff 
from his time with the Panthers to be like obnoxious, okay? I think that that's just what he knows and that's what he falls back on. And that can be a good thing because Ron did do some good things with the Panthers. But a concern that I always have with NFL head coaches who have had significant success previously and then are with new teams is an over-reliance and over-dependence on that which worked in that previous run of significant success. To me, we saw this with Joe Gibbs in his second go-round as Redskins head coach. We saw this with Mike Shanahan in his run as Skins head coach, and we're perhaps seeing this with Ron Rivera right now. But just because a philosophy or an approach or certain players or certain assistant coaches or certain executives worked previously doesn't mean that those things slash people will work now. Times change. The NFL evolves. And it is so important for NFL head coaches, especially those lording over football operations as Ron, as Don Ron is uh, in this commander's coach-centric approach to understand this. And I really hope that Ron understands this. You know, you have to be very careful what you take from your past and apply to your present. Uh, Email from Rich on something that I talked about on Tuesday's show, episode 300 from Ron Rivera during the Commander's pre-draft press conference on Monday afternoon. Ron revealing that he liked one of the quarterbacks in the 2022 NFL draft, enough to have considered taking that quarterback in the first round. Uh, Now, my suspicion is that that quarterback is Malik Willis of Liberty, but uh, I said that Ron probably was telling the truth when he said this, although I didn't entirely dismiss the possibility that Ron was lying, because this is, after all, lying season in the NFL. Uh, Well, writes Rich, Ron may have lied about wanting a quarterback to convince teams behind the commanders seeking a quarterback in the draft to sweeten trade offers to move up personally I like Willis. Uh, Thanks for the email, Rich. I like Willis too, although I fully concede that Willis is far from a guarantee as a quality NFL quarterback. Look, it's possible that Ron Rivera was lying. I don't think that he was, but, you know, it's hard for me to believe that any NFL team (laughs) would all of a sudden sweeten a trade offer for the commander's number 11 overall pick in the 2022 draft just because that team believes that Ron Rivera likes one of the quarterbacks. And so that validates that team liking that quarterback. You know, it's like, oh, Ron likes him. Okay, we better offer three first round picks in order to move up to number 11. Like, no, I don't think that NFL teams are that gullible. Uh, If they are, then Ron should be saying all kinds of stuff uh, in the days leading up to this 2022 draft. Uh, Email from Murph. On the previous episode of this podcast, being episode 300 of the podcast, writes Murph, way to go, Al. Congrats on the 300th pod. Want to offer my services as the podcast sleep specialist. Have been in practice for 30 years out here in the Berryville, Winchester area. I'm getting ready to retire soon. Any questions about sleep issues, let me know. How you pull off your day, two kids, the two pods, the hubby roll, (laughs) etc., always makes me wonder 
how you get it done. Uh, all the best, Murph. Well, thank you very much for that email, Murph. You know, uh, it may be that I'm not excelling in those other roles. <laughs> uh, I'll have to wait and see on that. But yeah, I'm not going to lie. My sleep is messed up, okay? I mean, let me just come correct on that, all right? I sleep when I can. Uh, the problem is that I have a hard time sleeping during the day. Like, I can take naps, but the longest nap that I'll ever take is like two hours. I just, I'm not great at sleeping when there is sunlight out, you know? It's like the circadian rhythm gets all out of whack. So I do try to get at least four or five hours of sleep at night. Uh, I don't always succeed in reaching uh, that area, uh, but the idea is four or five hours of sleep at night and then maybe a nap during the day. Uh, but yes, Murph, you can be the official sleep specialist of the Al Galdi podcast, just like Dr. George Verghese is the official dermatologist of the Al Galdi podcast and also is one of the top dermatologists in the country. Whatever your dermatological needs may be, Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland are there for you. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He's a big Commanders fan, very loyal listener of this podcast, and operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The Institute focuses on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer treatments for conditions such as acne, psoriasis, and eczema. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer state-of-the-art services such as Botox, laser hair removal, and chemical peels. Uh, Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer advanced treatments for many skin cancers. Heck, Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer free skin cancer screenings. To find out more, call 301 306-3401. That's 301-396-3401. Make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you, but if you have questions or concerns about the health of your skin, do not hesitate to call Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, 301-396-3401. You also can visit MidAtlanticSkin.com. Dot com. That's midAtlanticSkin.com. And don't forget to tell Dr. Verghese in the Institute that Al Galdi sent you. For excellent and comprehensive skin care, contact Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. It's really funny how things can play out. So this episode 301 of the Al Galdi podcast is for Wednesday, April 27th, 2022. Uh, One year ago today, of course, was April 27th, 2021. Do you know what happened with the NFL team currently known as the Commanders on April 27th, 2021? Washington, on April 27th, 2021, announced that the team had exercised the fifth-year option in the rookie contract of interior defensive lineman Duran Payne. And this was a total no-brainer at the time. Uh, Made complete sense. Washington took Payne with the number 13 pick in the 2018 
NFL draft out of Alabama. Uh, there had been a lot to like about Deron Payne. No, he wasn't perfect, but he was a good player who had played a key role on a Washington defense that was so much better in the 2020 regular season than the defense had been in the 2019 regular season. Well, here we are, one year to the day on which Washington exercised the fifth-year option in the rookie contract of Deron Payne. It is April 27th, 2022, and I'm about to do a segment on the commanders needing to trade Deron Payne. Uh, commanders insider Ben Standig of The Athletic on Tuesday morning reported that the commanders this offseason are not expected to offer Payne a contract extension. Wrote Ben, quote, the commanders are not expected to offer Payne a contract extension, multiple sources tell The Athletic, meaning the 2018 first round pick and four-year starter would potentially play out the final year of his rookie contract and enter free agency in 2023, end quote. So the commanders this offseason are not expected to offer Duran Payne a contract extension. This is a significant development. We this offseason have talked a lot about the commanders potentially signing receiver Terry McLaurin to a contract extension as the 2022 season will be the fourth and final season of his rookie contract. And the commanders seem to very much want to sign Terry to a contract extension. We, this offseason, have discussed the commanders potentially signing linebacker Cole Holcomb to a contract extension, as the 2022 season will be the fourth and final season of his rookie contract. And the commanders seem to like Cole a lot, uh, so I would not be surprised at all if he gets signed to a contract extension this offseason. The 2022 season is set to be the fifth and final season of Payne's rookie contract off Washington, last April 27th, having exercised that fifth-year option in Payne's rookie contract. And yet, according to our pal Ben Standig, the commanders aren't expected to even offer Payne a contract extension this offseason. Payne for the 2022 season has a salary cap hit of $8.529 million. I am surprised that the commanders this offseason are not expected to even offer Payne a contract extension, not because Payne is a great player, he isn't, uh, but because the commanders this offseason, right, have lost their top two backup interior defensive linemen. Uh, Tim Settle is signed with the Buffalo Bills as an unrestricted free agent, and the commanders have released Matt Ioannidis. If the commanders weren't expecting to even offer Deron Payne a contract extension, then why the heck didn't they try harder to re-sign Settle? And or why did the commanders cut Ioannidis? I mean, that doesn't make much sense to me. And maybe the commanders are planning on addressing the need for interior defensive line help in this week's 2022 NFL draft. Maybe the commanders are planning on signing an interior defensive lineman who gets released by another NFL team as uh, some veterans figure to get released once the NFL draft is over. But those approaches carry risk and carry uncertainty. The commanders knew what they had in Tim Settle and Matt Ioannidis. And if the commanders also knew that they weren't going to be even offering a contract extension to Deron Payne this offseason, then I really don't get why the commanders didn't try harder to re-sign Settle and why the commanders just cut Ioannidis. But here's my biggest takeaway of Ben Standing's report on Tuesday morning 
that the commanders this offseason are not expected to offer Deron Payne a contract extension, and I tweeted this takeaway on Tuesday. The commanders now need to trade Deron Payne. Point blank period. It's very simple. Either the commanders should extend Deron Payne this offseason, or the commanders should trade Deron Payne this offseason. It's one extreme or the other. Uh, not extending Deron Payne this offseason, of course, sets up Payne to be an unrestricted free agent next offseason. Not even offering Payne a contract extension this offseason very much communicates that the commanders really aren't that interested in keeping Payne. So he would almost certainly leave the commanders next offseason as an unrestricted free agent. And if the commanders were, for some reason, to change their mind on Payne and decide that they want to keep Payne, uh, then they potentially would be in a position to have to tag Payne. And we know how the tagging game works out, right? See Kirk Cousins, see Brandon Sheriff. Now, the commanders next offseason could transition tag Deron Payne, as opposed to franchise tagging Payne. Uh, a player with a transition tag can sign an offer sheet with another team. The original team has the right to match the offer, but if the original team does not match the offer, the original team does not get back any compensation. Uh, the benefit of the transition tag is that it is cheaper than a franchise tag. Bottom line, if the commanders don't extend Deron Payne this offseason and don't trade Deron Payne this offseason, then they are very much setting themselves up to lose him next offseason for next to nothing, if not nothing. Uh, especially considering that Payne is likely to be insulted by the commanders not even offering him a contract extension this offseason. Like, think about that. It's not that the commanders aren't expected to sign Payne to a contract extension this offseason. It's that the commanders aren't expected to even offer Payne a contract extension this offseason. That's telling. Now, I heard from some people on Tuesday about how the commanders should not trade Deron Payne this offseason. This so they have his services for the 2022 season. And if they lose him via unrestricted free agency next offseason, that's okay because the commanders will get back a third round compensatory draft pick. Uh, not so fast, my friend. Um, I feel like some people don't really understand how comp picks work. Maybe the commanders would get back a third round comp pick for losing pain in free agency, but that's far from a guarantee. Comp picks are based on a variety of factors, including the contracts that the players sign with their new teams and what the players' previous teams end up doing in free agency. In other words, if the commanders next offseason lose Deron Payne in free agency and he signs a big money contract with his new team, but the commanders next offseason also sign a free agent to a big money contract, then that free agent acquisition could cancel out the comp pick for Payne. So this thing that people keep saying, oh, don't trade Deron Payne, you can just get back a third round comp pick for Payne. Uh, there's no guarantee that the commanders would get back a third round comp pick for Payne. The commanders this offseason need to extend Deron Payne or trade Deron Payne. Now, what Payne's trade value is, is anyone's guess. I mean, determining trade values in the NFL is hard enough in general, 
Determining the trade value of a guy like Payne is particularly difficult. Um, you know, here you have the commanders now in a position, if they do end up trying to trade Payne, of trying to trade Payne more than a month since the NFL's new league year started, okay? That is far from ideal. I mean, I tell you, there does seem to be a lack of foresight here from the commanders, but uh, I do believe that Deron Payne has trade value. Uh, he isn't a great player, but he isn't a bad player. I'd like to think that the commanders could get back a third or fourth round pick for Payne. You know, again, it's hard to determine trade values in the NFL because trade values are all over the place. But Deron Payne, in theory, I think could get the commanders back maybe a third round pick, probably more likely a fourth round pick. And, you know, maybe it's a fifth or a sixth round pick. I don't know. But something is better than nothing. I do know that. Uh, now, look, there are some things to really like about Deron Payne. He has been very durable. Uh, Payne, over his four NFL seasons, 2018 through 2021, has played in 64 of a possible 65 regular season games for Washington. That's terrific. Uh, Deron Payne has been good against the run. Uh, you know, Payne from 2018 through 2020 was number two among all NFL interior defensive linemen in run stops for pro football focus at 86. Now, some of that was a function of opportunity as Washington in being bad for all of the 2019 season and for chunks of the 2018 and 2020 seasons had had quite a few games in which opposing teams ran a bunch of running plays. But still, uh, Payne has been good against the run. Note this, Washington finished the 2021 regular season number seven in the NFL in run defense per Football Outsiders DVOA metric. Yeah, number seven in the NFL in run defense. Uh, as bad as Washington's defense was for way too much of the 2021 season, Washington's pass defense was the problem. Uh, not so much the run defense. Washington's run defense last season was quite good. Deron Payne was a big part of that. Now, Payne has not accumulated a bunch of like traditional counting stats, you know, uh, back of the football card stats, but that's okay. Like some of his advanced stats are good. And I think most people listening know this, you know, you can't judge an interior defensive lineman solely on his traditional counting stats, you know, solely on his sacks or his forced fumbles or his tackles. Uh, now, is Deron Payne as good as Jonathan Allen? No. Okay, And honestly, for a while, there were people, both fans and people in the media, who swore that Deron Payne was the best of Washington's three interior defensive linemen who made up the IPA guys, right? Matt Ioannidis, Deron Payne, and Jonathan Allen. I-P-A, Ioannidis, Payne, and Allen. I always thought that that was an underrated nickname for those three guys. So you did have this for a while. This I don't know if it was a contrarian take or what, but people would say, eh, you know, Deron Payne is the best of the bunch. And now it's like, nah, ain't nobody still trying to argue that Deron Payne is better than Jonathan Allen. Jonathan Allen clearly has emerged as the team's best interior defensive lineman. Heck, Jonathan Allen clearly has emerged as one of the best interior defensive linemen in the NFL. Also, for whatever this is worth, Deron Payne, when viewed through the prism of pro football focus, has not been great. Uh, Payne's overall grade for the 2021 regular season for pro football focus was just 64.2. Uh, for comparison's sake, Tim Settle's overall grade for the 2021 regular season per PFF was 70.1, better than Payne's 64.2. Uh, Jonathan Allen's overall grade for the 2021 regular season per PFF was 
84.9, quite a bit better than Payne's 64.2. Uh, Payne's overall grade for the 2020 season for Pro Football Focus was just a 68.2. Uh, for comparison's sake, uh, Tim Settle's overall grade for the 2020 season for PFF was 69. Jonathan Allen's overall grade for the 2020 season for PFF was 80.3. So, you know, you can take the pro football focus grades however you like. I like to look at them. I do not treat them as gospel, but I don't think that they're meaningless. And for PFF, Deron Payne has not been great. Uh, Jonathan Allen has been really good. Deron Payne has not been really good. Uh, There's also this, speaking of uh, Payne and Allen, right? The incident. Uh, as Kramer once said on Seinfeld, there was an incident. Uh, well, there was an incident. Uh, yes, Kramer, there was an incident. Uh, this past December 26th, the night after Christmas, t'was the night after Christmas and all through the house, uh, Washington got destroyed at Dallas's house. Uh, the then Washington football team fell to 6-9 and nine with a 56-14. Loss at the Cowboys on Sunday Night Football. Uh, One of the most embarrassing performances in Washington history. I mean, that's not overstating things. That was a horrendous night for the franchise. And the performance included Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen getting into a skirmish on the Washington sideline. Now, notice that I didn't say fight. I mean, what happened wasn't necessarily a fight. I mean, I guess it depends on how you want to define fight. But what happened was ugly and off-putting and reflected very poorly on both Payne and Allen. Uh, Second quarter, Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen got into this scuffle on the Washington sideline as Payne put a finger in Allen's face and Allen threw a punch at Payne. Uh, Just a really bad look for both guys. You know, the team was unraveling before our eyes on national television in the midst of a 42-point loss at the arch-rival Cowboys the night after Christmas. Uh, Now, we know Payne and Allen have known and played with each other for years. Uh, The two played together at Alabama. The two have been playing together on Washington. Teammates fight. People disagree. Things happen. I get all of that. But this was particularly ugly. This was a particularly bad look. And while I don't think that it's necessarily the case that like Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen hate each other. Uh, I don't think that it's at all unreasonable to wonder whether there were or are underlying problems between the two uh, and or underlying problems on Washington's defense. I mean, it really was odd and disturbing just how bad the defense was over the first eight games of Washington's 2021 regular season. And I said during those first eight games, and I still maintain that there seemed to be more to the struggles than just what we were seeing. It felt like there were things happening behind the scenes that we weren't privy to. Now, we have come to know that we did have something like Chase Young and Montez Sweat not always adhering to the defensive scheme. Ron Rivera certainly has let us know about that. But maybe there was more going on behind the scenes with the defense than we realized. Um, You know, I have wondered about this too. Have we reached a point at which the commanders need to break up this vaunted defensive line. Uh, Not because the defensive line is terrible, okay? Because I don't believe that to be the case. 
but because the team has become overinvested in its defensive line. You know, Washington went from having so few quality defensive linemen uh, to spending a first round pick in each of four consecutive NFL drafts on a defensive lineman. 2017, Jonathan Allen. 2018, Deron Payne. 2019, Montez Sweat. 2020, Chase Young. You know, you spend a first round pick in each of four straight NFL drafts on a defensive lineman. Your defensive line better be excellent. And while the defensive line was really good in the 2020 regular season, that is the only season during this stretch in which you can say that the defensive line truly has been very good. And so what exactly are we doing here? You know, all of these first round picks have been for what exactly? Now, going back to last season's defensive struggles, I do believe that the struggles were more on the secondary than the struggles were on the defensive line. But still, the defensive line either hasn't been as good as we had hoped, or we have come to see that even a good defensive line can only impact the defense so much. You know, Washington's defense overall has been very good in exactly one season during this era of spending first-round picks on defensive linemen, the 2020 regular season. And note, I won't even say the 2020 season because Washington's defense got carved up by Tampa Bay in the loss to the Buccaneers at FedEx Field in the wildcard round of the playoffs for the 2020 season. Like I said, Deron Payne isn't a bad player. Uh, you know, Payne did make some big plays for Washington in that 2020 regular season. You go back to the 23-15 win over the San Francisco 49ers in Arizona in week 14 of the 2020 season. Uh, Payne in the second quarter had a fumble recovery and then a forced fumble. This was the game in which Chase Young just took over. I have called this game the Chase Young game because he was a one-man wrecking crew. Well, maybe the most famous play by Chase Young in this game was his 47-yard return of a fumble recovery for a touchdown to give Washington a 13-7 lead. Who forced that fumble? Deron Payne forced that fumble. On a late second quarter, first and 10 for the 49ers at their 49, Payne had a sack strip of Nick Mullins for a fumble that was recovered by Chase Young, who generated the 47-yard return for a touchdown. Uh, you look at Washington's next game that season, the 2015 loss to the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field. Uh, Payne had a big fourth quarter interception in that game. Uh, first and 10 for the Seahawks at the Washington 39. Montez Sweat, off being in coverage, came charging toward Russell Wilson, made a terrific leaping deflection of a Wilson pass, and Payne made a nice catch for the interception. So Deron Payne is not a bad player, but he also isn't a great player. And what now seems quite clear is that the commanders don't think that Payne is a great player. Otherwise, why aren't they expected to even offer him a contract extension this offseason? And so to me, the commanders now need to trade Deron Payne. It's one extreme or another. If they're not going to extend Payne, then they need to trade Payne. Let's try to learn from the lessons of the Kirk Cousins and Brandon Sheriff sagas instead of repeating the mistakes of the Kirk Cousins and Brandon Sheriff sagas. Well, an unfortunate lesson that we have come to learn is that trying to buy a home right now, especially in the Washington, D.C. area, is tricky. Uh, rising interest rates, sky-high prices of homes, intense competition for homes. If you're trying to buy a home, you may be overwhelmed, perhaps even intimidated. That's why, if you're looking to buy a home in the D.C. area, you should go with Kellen Hunt, 
as your real estate agent. Uh, did you know that in Chevy Chase, Maryland, 66% of homes are sold within 10 days of being listed? On Capitol Hill, 60% of homes listed are sold in 10 days or less. In Georgetown, 43% of sales so far this year have been cash transactions. There's a lot to be thinking about. Kellen Hunt will guide you through the process of buying a home that's right for you. Visit closeitwithkel.com right now and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. You see, Kellen Hunt understands what it's like out there right now. Uh, Kellen Hunt is a real estate agent for real people, first-time buyers looking for guidance, young families that need space to grow, the empty nesters ready to retire. If you're looking to buy a home in the D.C. area, you need a real estate agent who understands the market and can match you with a home that meets your needs because that's what real estate is about, you, your needs, your dreams, finding the right place for you. And Kellen Hunt isn't just a realtor. He is a young entrepreneur. He is a father. He is a husband. He is a homeowner himself. Uh, Kellen Hunt is a smart guy, creative person. And above all, Kellen Hunt gets it. Plus, he's willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yes, you, the buyer, get a piece of the action when you work with Kellen Hunt. Kellen Hunt knows what buyers like you are facing, and he wants to help. So visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. And book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. That's CloseItWithKell.com, CloseItWithKell.com. If you're trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kel. Visit CloseItWithKel.com and tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. Well, as we approach Thursday night's first round of the 2022 NFL Draft, and we think about and consider and ponder what our commanders are going to do with their number 11 overall pick, we, of course, keep hearing and reading about the commanders potentially taking a receiver, uh, perhaps Drake London of USC, perhaps Chris Olave of Ohio State, Perhaps Garrett Wilson of Ohio State, although Wilson doesn't seem likely to be available to the Commanders at 11, but who knows. But also regarding the Commanders potentially taking a receiver on Thursday night, and in the 2022 draft overall, is this. The number of intriguing receiver prospects in the 2022 draft coming off injury, especially torn ACLs. Uh, So I just mentioned Drake London. He's coming off a fractured right ankle. And how about the three highly regarded receiver prospects coming off torn ACLs? Uh, Alabama receiver Jamison Williams, Alabama receiver John Mechie III, and Georgia receiver George Pickens. Uh, It's not often that three of the better receiver prospects in an NFL draft are all coming off torn ACLs as Williams, Mechie, and Pickens are. Uh, The most intriguing out of that group is Jamison Williams, who some people believe is the best receiver in the 2022 draft. Uh, So Jamison Williams suffered a torn left ACL in Alabama's 33-18 loss to Georgia in the college football playoff national championship game at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis this past January 10th. Had Williams not gotten hurt in that game, 
he may well be the unquestioned number one receiver in the 2022 draft. And like I just said, he still may be the number one receiver in the 2022 draft. Uh, Williams actually played for Ohio State in the 2019 and 2020 seasons, but then transferred to Alabama. And Williams, in his lone season at Bama, the 2021 season, was a monster. Uh, Williams over 15 games in the 2021 college football season, 79 receptions for 1,572 yards and 15 touchdowns. He averaged 19.9 yards per catch. Uh, Williams in the 2021 college football season had an Alabama single season record and an FBS best four receiving touchdowns, each of at least 70 yards, and totaled an FBS best 11 receiving touchdowns, each of at least 30 yards. Uh, Williams at the 2022 NFL Scouting Combine measured as being 6'1 and half of an inch and 179 pounds. Uh, Alabama receiver John Mechie III, he also suffered a torn left ACL in a game against Georgia this past season, but his torn left ACL came in the SEC championship game. Uh, Mechie suffered a torn left ACL in Alabama's 41-24 win over Georgia in the SEC championship game at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta on December 4th. Uh, now, Mechie isn't as dynamic as Williams, but Mechie certainly can play. Mechie over 13 games in the 2021 college football season had 96 receptions. Think about that. 96 catches over just 13 games. Uh, Mechie at the 2022 NFL Scouting Combine measured as being 5'11 and a quarter of an inch and 187 pounds. So he is a bit smaller uh, than Williams is. Uh, Mechie actually has local ties. Uh, He spent a good chunk of his high school career at St. James School in Hagerstown, Maryland. And then there's Georgia receiver George Pickens, who some people think could be the steal of the draft. Uh, So Pickens suffered a torn right ACL at Georgia spring practice on March 23rd, 2021. So more than a year ago, uh, Pickens actually returned to play in Georgia's final four games of its 2021 national championship season. Uh, Pickens was productive over his first two seasons at Georgia, 2019 and 2020, although the numbers don't overwhelm you. But Pickens is a bigger receiver. Uh, Pickens at the 2022 NFL Scouting Combine measured as being 6'3 and a quarter of an inch and 195 pounds. But what is making people feel that Pickens could be the steal of the draft maybe more than anything is that Pickens, perhaps as much as any receiver in this receiver-loaded 2022 draft, profiles as what is called an ex-receiver. You hear about different receivers in the NFL and in football, period. Uh, The X, the Y, the Z. Uh, The ex-receiver is also known as the split end. Uh, The ex-receiver generally is on the opposite side of the formation to the tight end. And the X receiver lines up on the line of scrimmage and is the receiver who is furthest away from the football. Uh, Lining up on the line of scrimmage is what stands out probably as much as anything about the X receiver. Uh, The X receiver tends to be isolated in formations far more than, say, the Z receiver. And this isolated role of the X receiver means that he faces a lot more man coverage. And the fact that the X receiver typically lines up on the line of scrimmage means that that man coverage can be aggressive press man coverage. And receivers 
who can thrive in press man coverage really are valuable because that's a special skill set to have. And so if you as a receiver have the ability to excel against press man coverage, that's significant. That's very valuable. And George Pickens appears, and I stress that word, appears to have that. So we'll see. I mean, I don't think any NFL team ever feels great taking a guy coming off a torn ACL, you know, regardless of that guy's position. But torn ACLs in football have become like Tommy John surgeries in baseball. Torn ACLs aren't good, but they're no longer the death blows to careers that torn ACLs once were. Every torn ACL is different too. You know, some guys coming off torn ACLs also are coming off other things like torn LCLs and or torn MCLs. Uh, This is where having a quality medical staff is important. Remember, the commanders just last week, now two Mondays ago, April 18th, finally announced the hiring of their new head athletic trainer, Al Bellamy. Uh, You hope that he and his staff are up to speed on the medicals for guys like Drake London and Jamison Williams and John Mechie III and George Pickens. But you in an NFL draft can find real value in taking someone who is extremely talented and has been very productive, but who just has fallen due to injury. Uh, Kendall Fuller is an example of this. The Redskins took Fuller in the third round of the 2016 draft out of Virginia Tech. He was coming off micro-fracture surgery on his right knee. Uh, He did have an up-and-down 2016 rookie season, but he then blossomed into one of the best nickel corners in the NFL in the 2017 season. And then, of course, the Skins dealt him to the Kansas City Chiefs in the Alex Smith trade in March 2018. But uh, Kendall Fuller, of course, now has been back with Washington for two seasons. Now, sometimes taking a guy coming off a torn ACL does not work out at all. Uh, Bryce Love would be an example of that. Uh, The Skins in the 2019 NFL draft traded the second of the team's two third-round picks uh, to the Buffalo Bills for their two fourth-round picks. And Washington, with the first of those two fourth-round picks, took a running back out of Stanford named Bryce Love. Uh, Bryce Love in 2017 had one of the great seasons that you'll ever see a collegiate running back have. 2,118 rushing yards, a yards per carry of 8.05, 19 rushing touchdowns. Uh, But Love ended up never taking a single preseason or regular season snap for Washington. Uh, He had suffered a torn right ACL in Stanford's 23-18 win at Cal on December 1st, 2018, and he never truly recovered from that injury. Uh, Love spent the 2019 season on the Skins' active-slash-non-football injury list. He underwent another surgery on his right knee in October 2019. Uh, Now, Love did make Washington's season-opening 53-man roster for the 2020 season, but he was inactive for each of Washington's first three games and then was placed on the reserve injured list on October 2nd, 2020 due to swelling in his right knee. He, on November 11th, 2020, returned to practice, beginning a 21-day window in which Washington could activate him, but he suffered another setback and never made it off Washington's reserve injured list. And Washington waived Bryce Love on April 19th, 2021. It's sad. We never got to see Bryce Love play in any kind of a game for Washington. So you never know with NFL draft prospects coming off knee injuries, especially 
torn ACLs. But there are some really intriguing receivers in the 2022 draft coming off torn ACLs, especially this guy, Jamison Williams. And he may well be gone by the time the commander's number 11 overall pick comes up on Thursday night. But boy, if he isn't gone, that is going to be fascinating. Do you take him or do you go with a safer selection? Generally speaking, I'm not a fan of drafting guys coming off major injuries, but I do believe in making exceptions. And you could argue that Jamison Williams and maybe John the III and George Pickens are worthy of being exceptions. Up next, I'm talking Capitals. Uh, they on Tuesday night had their regular season home finale. Uh, they on Tuesday night played without an injured Alex Ovechkin. And they on Tuesday night got wrecked by the New York Islanders. And wait till you hear how Caps head coach Peter Laviolette sounded during his post-game press conference. I'll get to all of that and more after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Well, it hasn't happened often, but it did happen on Tuesday. Alex Ovechkin did not play in a Capitals game due to injury. Uh, The Caps got ripped on Tuesday night, a 4-1 loss to the New York Islanders at Capital Win Arena in what was the Caps' regular season home finale, and Ovechkin did not play in the game. Uh, He did not play due to an upper body injury that he suffered in the third period of the Caps' previous game, the 4-3 shootout loss to the Toronto Maple Leafs at Capital One Arena on Sunday night. Uh, Ovechkin in that game suffered the upper body injury when he crashed into the boards off getting tripped by the stick of the Maple Leafs goaltender Eric Schalgren. Uh, Ovechkin's left arm and shoulder made contact with the boards. Now, Ovechkin had been listed by the Caps as being day-to-day So the injury doesn't appear to be super serious, but who the heck knows? I mean, this is the NHL, a land in which injuries are almost always cloaked in secrecy. 
now, if Ovechkin dealing with an injury late in a regular season feels familiar, uh, that's because this is familiar. This just happened last season. Uh, Ovechkin missed seven of the Caps' final nine games in the 2020-2021 regular season, including seven of eight games at one point, uh, due to a lower body injury, uh, a lower body injury that was suffered in a one nothing Caps shootout win at the New York Islanders on April 22nd, 2021. Well, the Caps on Tuesday night faced the Islanders, and the Caps got worked. Uh, Connor Sheary scored an even-strength goal 10-24 into the first period, but the Islanders won the rest of the game 4-0. Take a listen to the first few exchanges during the post-game press conference of Caps head coach Peter Laviolette on Tuesday night. You could say that old Lavi was not happy. Where did this one get away from you? Uh, From the beginning. It wasn't good. So... Uh, I asked Tom Wilson this question, but do you feel like this was a missed opportunity to move up to the standings? Absolutely, missed missed opportunity for two points. So, Tom Wilson just said that you guys just came out flat. Was that just kind of mentally, physically? We were oh. we were flat both. What do you think that? What do you think that was from? We were flat. I don't know. Disappointing. You know, the last game, you guys didn't really like the way you played pretty well. Otherwise, you kind of didn't. This game, you know, this game was this game. We didn't, we didn't play well. <laughs> yeah, Peter Laviolette was in rare form during his post-game press conference on Monday night, and who could blame him? The Caps were terrible in this loss to the Islanders. The former Caps head coach Barry Trotz, old Trotzy, handed it to the Caps. On Tuesday night, uh, the Caps on Tuesday night had maybe their worst special teams game of the season. The Caps went 0 of 4 on the power play. The Caps gave up a shorthanded goal to Casey Sezikis, 8:42 into the third period. Uh, this goal was amateur hour by the Caps. Sezikis generated a takeaway off a botched exchange behind the net between Caps goaltender Ilya Samsonov and defenseman. Dmitry Orlov, and then Sezikis scored on a backhanded shot from the left circle while on his rear end, as Samsonov seemed rather casual on the exchange with Orlov, and then in getting back into position. Uh, also, the Caps went 0 of 2 on the penalty kill. So 0 of 4 on the power play, gave up a shorthanded goal, and 0 of 2 on the penalty kill. Awful night for the Caps on special teams. But I mentioned Ilya Samsonov. So Peter Laviolette has made it no secret that the Caps have a goaltending competition going on right now as the Caps prepare for the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, Vitek Vanacek started the Caps two games over the weekend. He pitched a shutout in the first game, the 2-0 win at the Arizona Coyotes on Friday night. Vitek in that game stopped all 19 of the shots on goal that he faced. And then Vitek in the Caps 4-3 shootout loss to the Maple Leafs at Capital One Arena on Sunday night stopped to 27 of the 30 shots on goal that he faced. So Ilya Samsonov on Tuesday night was the Caps starting goaltender for the first time in three games. And Ilya struggled. Uh, he stopped just 22 of the 26 shots on goal that he faced. He per natural stat trick gave up two goals on low danger shots on goal for a second consecutive game. That's not good. You're not supposed to give up any goals on low-danger shots on goal. Ilya has given up two goals on low-danger shots on goal 
in each of his last two games. And as I talked about, uh, Ilya was brutal on the Casey Zizekas third period shorthanded goal. Uh, Also on Tuesday night, the Boston Bruins beat the Florida Panthers 4-2 to clinch the top wildcard spot in the Eastern Conference. So the Caps no longer have a shot at being the top wildcard team in the Eastern Conference. The Bruins now have 105 points. The Caps have 100 points. Uh, The Caps record is 44-24-12. And the Caps have just two regular season games left at the Islanders this Thursday night at 7 and at the New York Rangers this Friday night at 7. But also on Tuesday night, the Pittsburgh Penguins lost at home to the Edmonton Oilers 5-1. So the Caps are one point behind the Penguins for third in the Metropolitan Division. Uh, The Penguins have 101 points. The Caps have 100 points. Uh, The Caps have two games left in their regular season. The Penguins, though, have just one regular season game left. So the Caps do have a shot here to finish as the third place team in the Metropolitan Division as opposed to the second wildcard team in the Eastern Conference. And I would like to see the Caps finish as the third place team in the Metro as opposed to finishing as the second wildcard team in the Eastern Conference because the Caps finishing as the second wildcard team in the Eastern Conference would mean a first round series against the number one team in the Eastern Conference. And that number one team is the Florida Panthers. The Panthers have clinched the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. Although, like I said, uh, the Panthers did lose at the Bruins on Tuesday night. Some more from Peter LaViolette during his postgame press conference on Tuesday night. Well, we can't play like we did tonight going to the, if, we, if we play like this in the playoffs. So this isn't who we are. This isn't our M.O. It's, it's one night. It was lousy. And so that's that. Yeah, Peter Laviolette's postgame presser on Tuesday night lasted for less than two minutes. Uh, the Cavs were really bad on Tuesday night. Now, it's late in the regular season. I get it. Uh, everything gets reset once the Stanley Cup playoffs begin. But if you're the Caps right now, I mean, you got to get Alex Ovechkin healthy and you got to figure out this goaltending. Uh, I trust that Ovechkin will be good to go for the Stanley Cup playoffs. He may not be 100% for the playoffs, but I do expect Ovechkin to play in game one of the Caps' first round series in the 2022 Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, I don't at all trust the Caps goaltending, but we shall see. Well, any hope that we had for the rebuilding Nationals to have a surprising 2022 regular season is quickly evaporating right now. And I say that fully recognizing that the Major League Baseball regular season is long and includes so many twists and turns, but the Nats so far in this 2022 regular season are bad. Uh, They are as bad as most people expected them to be. Uh, They may be worse, you know. I mean, I guess it depends on what your expectations were. But the Nats on Tuesday night lost their sixth consecutive game, a 5-2 loss to the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park in game one of a three-game series. Uh, The Nats in this 2022 regular season now are just 6-13 and 
The Nats in this 2022 regular season have the second worst run differential in the majors at minus 41. Uh, Given the state of the Nats, you know, that they are a rebuilding team, there are things with the Nats that truly matter. And then there are things with the Nats that don't matter all that much. Something with the Nats that to me matters a lot is the development of starting pitcher Josiah Gray. Uh, Gray and catcher Kbert Ruiz were acquired from the Los Angeles Dodgers as the headline prospects in a crop of four prospects for Max Scherzer and Trey Turner in a trade that was finalized last July 31st. The trade was, of course, the top trade in the Nats' massive sell-off of last late July. Uh, The hope is that Josiah Gray will be a fixture in the Nats' rotation for years to come. Well, Gray on Tuesday night started for the first time in a week, and uh, he was mixed, although if you have to pick a lean. The lean is more toward him having been good. Now, his final line was not good. Four runs in five and two-thirds innings, and he did give up seven hits, a three-run homer, two doubles, and four singles. He did issue three walks. He did throw 98 pitches over his five and two-thirds innings, but he also had 10 strikeouts. His stuff was really good. I mean, 10 strikeouts in five and two-thirds innings is terrific. And you take a step back, Josiah Gray now in the 2022 regular season over four starts has 28 strikeouts in 20 innings. That's superb. 12.6 strikeouts per nine innings. Uh, Gray on Tuesday night began his outing with three scoreless innings with five strikeouts. Uh, Gray in the top of the fourth, though, allowed three runs. And the top of the fourth was a rough inning for Gray. He issued a leadoff five-pitch walk of Jesus Sanchez. Gray gave up a one-out opposite field single to Garrett Cooper to right field. Gray gave up a one-out first-pitch three-run homer to Joey Wendell, who was celebrating a birthday, by the way, uh, for a 3 nothing Marlins lead. And the homer was some shot to center field. The homer for Stadcast went a projected 410 feet, and Gray gave up a one-out double to Brian Anderson to left field. Now, Gray in the top of the six gave up another run, uh, but the circumstances of this inning matter. So Gray gave up a one-out double to Garrett Cooper to left field. Gray issued a one-out seven-pitch walk at Joey Wendell, despite him having been down to the count of 1.12. Okay, those things were not good, but Gray gave up a two-out RBI single to Jacob Stallings on a 1-2 pitch for a 4-1 Marlins lead. And what happened on this two-out ribby single by Stallings was Stallings hitting a line drive that went off the backhanded glove of a leaping Nat shortstop, Alcides Escobar, uh, in shallow left field just beyond the infield dirt. This was another instance of Alcides Escobar not making a play that could be made. Uh, I've talked about Escobar. He has been brutal as a batter, and he looks old and slow as a fielder. And this was another instance here of, you know, Alcides Escobar not being charged with an error, but Alcides Escobar not making a play that, to me, a good defensive shortstop makes. So there was some failure of defense behind Josiah Gray. He was far from perfect on Tuesday night, but I thought that that final line, four runs in five and two-thirds innings, was a bit misleading. That does not accurately portray how Josiah Gray pitched on Tuesday night. And 10 strikeouts in five and two-thirds innings, that was really good. Here was Nats manager Davey Martinez during his post-game press conference on Tuesday night on the performance of Josiah Gray. 
desire to the ball. So we always, it was really one pitch, you know, the walk and then one one pitch for really having a really good outing. Um, but he threw, I thought he threw the ball well. I was very impressed. Uh, they come out in the last inning. Uh, they had 98 pitches when we took him out, but he's still throwing 94, you know, making making decent pitches. Should have been out of the inning, you know, the ball to Escobar. Um, but I thought he threw the ball really well. All right, so Josiah Gray did as he did on Tuesday night, but also for the Nats in their 5-2 loss to the Marlins at Nationals Park on Tuesday night was more bad offense. Uh, The Nats on Tuesday night had just eight hits, seven of which were singles. Uh, The Nats continued to not hit for nearly enough power. The Nats on Tuesday night had a double and seven singles. The Nats' team slugging percentage through 19 games in the 2022 regular season is a mere 322. Uh, now, the Nats on Tuesday night did draw four walks and did go four and nine with runners in scoring position, but the Nats scored just the two runs. Why? Well, uh, what happened in what ended up being only a one run fourth inning for the Nats is a big part of the why. Uh, two Nats got thrown out at home plate in the bottom of the fourth. Uh, those two Nats, Josh Bell, and Yadiel Hernandez. Uh, So Josh Bell did play on Tuesday night. That in and of itself was a victory. He returned from a one-game absence caused by right hamstring tightness. Bell on Tuesday night was in that starting first baseman and number four batter, but Josh Bell right now is hurting. He's coming off the one-game absence caused by the right hamstring tightness. He, in the Nats' 11-2 loss to the Arizona Diamondbacks at Nationals Park last Wednesday night, left the game due to an ailing left knee. So he's got the right hamstring tightness. He has the ailing left knee. And Josh Bell on Tuesday night did not look uh, like himself running the bases. Uh, Bell in that Nats one-run fourth drew a one-out five-pitch walk, but he got thrown out at home by Marlins center fielder Jesus Sanchez in trying to score on a Cape Ruiz two-out full count, seeing eye single up the middle. Uh, Bell in the Nats one-run eighth did have a two-out RBI single up the middle to cut the Nats' deficit to 5-2, but he clearly is not at 100% right now. Also, Yadiel Hernandez. So Yadiel on Tuesday night was the Nats' starting left fielder and number five batter. He went one for four with an RBI single. He hit the RBI single in that Nats' one-run fourth. He had a one-out first pitch, RBI single up the middle to cut the Nats' deficit to 3-1. But Yadiel got thrown out at home by Marlins right fielder Avisail Garcia for the third out in trying to score from second base on a Michael Franco two-out opposite field single to right field. And what stood out as much as anything from that play was Yadiel running through the stop sign of Nats third base coach Gary DeSarcina. You don't see that often at the major league level, a player running through a stop sign, and yet that is precisely what Yadiel Hernandez did. Here was Davey Martinez during his post-game press conference on Tuesday night on Josh Bell and Yadiel Hernandez getting thrown out at home in that Nats one-run fourth that could have been so much more. Oh, I saw I saw what 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 uh, DeSarcina saw. You know, he was guy hadn't even reached the ball yet. You know, by the time he got past third base, just you know, Josh is you know um, not running well. So, but I saw exactly what he saw. I mean, you know, I thought for sure he was gonna he was gonna make it, or he wouldn't throw the ball. But he threw the ball, made a good throw too. And then the other one, Yadi ran through the stop sign. So, I mean, um, you know, we talked to Yadi. 
you know, he said he, he, he thought he saw him. You know, he didn't see him on time, and he was going. So um, you know, it was close play, but he, he, you know, he did run through the stop sign. All right, so Yadiel Hernandez pretty clearly was not like disrespecting the Nats third base coach, Gary DeSarcina, in running through the stop sign. But still, Yadiel ran through the stop sign. That was not good. Two Nats players getting thrown out at home plate in that one run fourth inning. Not good. Uh, Juan Soto on Tuesday night was good. Uh, Soto was the Nats starting right fielder at number two batter. He went one for two with a double and two walks. Uh, Soto in the bottom of the first drew a one-out five-pitch walk and had a stolen base. Uh, Soto in the Nats one-run fourth drew a leadoff six-pitch walk. Uh, Soto did have another fail with a runner in scoring position. Bottom of the fifth, Cesar Hernandez on second, two outs. Soto struck out swinging on seven pitches. Uh, but Soto uh, in the Nats one-run eighth had a one-out double off the left center field wall on a one-two pitch. That was a great piece of hitting by Soto. Uh, remember, Soto struggled in the Nats' previous series, that three-game sweep to the San Francisco Giants at Nationals Park over the weekend. Soto in that series just a two-for-12 with a double and a single, and he drew no walks in that series. That really stuck out, right? No walks for Soto over the course of a three-game series, but he on Tuesday night drew two walks in addition to having a double and also having a stolen base. Uh, K-Bert Ruiz on Tuesday night had two singles. He was an ad starting catcher and number six batter. He went two for four with two singles, did commit a throwing error, but Ruiz in the bottom of the second had a one-out single over a shift into right center field on a one-two pitch, and Ruiz in the bottom of the fourth had a two-out full count seeing eye single up the middle. Uh, Ruiz did commit a throwing error in the Marlins' one-run eighth. Uh, Michael Franco on Tuesday night as an ad starting third baseman and number seven batter went one for three with a single and a walk. Franco in the bottom of the fourth had a two-out opposite field single to right field, and Franco in the bottom of the seventh drew a one-out ten-pitch walk despite having been down in the count at one point. One, two. Uh, so there were some offensive bright spots or, you know, modest bright spots for the Nats on Tuesday night. But still, just the two runs and too many Nats still aren't hitting nearly enough, including Alcides Escobar. Uh, you know, Nelson Cruz is not hitting enough. Victor Robles is not hitting enough. But Alcides Escobar may well be the worst of the bunch. Alcides on Tuesday night was an ad starting shortstop and number eight batter. He went 0 for 4. Alcides Escobar now in the 2022 regular season has a batting average of 123, has an on-base percentage of 194, and has a slugging percentage of 140, which is just horrendous. Uh, And we had that defensive boo-boo by Alcides Escobar, his failure to make the leaping backhanded catch of the Jacob Stallings line drive that resulted in that two-out RBI single off Josiah Gray in that one-run sixth inning for the Marlins. But here's the other thing regarding Alcides Escobar right now. So Alcides Escobar is a guy who was in his age 35 season. He was surprisingly productive for the Nats last season, but ain't nobody looking at Alcides Escobar as a potential building block. Well, a potential building block is tearing it up for the Nats right now at the AAA level. Uh, Luis Garcia on Tuesday night as the starting second baseman and number two batter for AAA Rochester went four for four with two home runs, two singles, a walk, four RBI, and three runs. Uh, Now, Luis Garcia can play both second base and shortstop. He is far from a polished product 
defensively especially, okay? But we did see a good bit of Luis Garcia at the major league level last season. He did hit reasonably well in the month of September, and he is on fire right now for AAA Rochester. Luis Garcia over 17 games for Rochester in the 2022 season has an OPS of 1,020. He's batting 360 with a 407 on base percentage and a 613 slugging percentage. The Nats are a bad team, okay? Uh, Alcides Escobar is a road to nowhere at shortstop. Why the Nats haven't already called up Luis Garcia and just inserted him as the everyday shortstop, I don't understand. Now, I'm sure that the Nats have their reasons, okay? I mean, the Nats aren't a bunch of dummies, and uh, they do have information that we do not have. But man, I don't know how much longer I can take this Alcides Escobar experience, all right? Like I said, he was surprisingly productive last season, and he deserves credit for that. But he has been horrendous so far this season. He's in his age 35 season. The Nats are a rebuilding team. Luis Garcia shows promise. Maybe he doesn't end up being much of anything at the major league level. But then again, maybe he does. And he can't be any worse than Alcides Escobar has been, who has been really bad offensively and has continued to look old and slow defensively. Uh, The Nats bullpen on Tuesday night was good. Four Nats relievers combined to allow one run unearned in three and a third innings. Austin Voth faced just one batter. He came into the game in the top of the sixth with runners on first and second and two outs and got Jazz Chisholm Jr. to pop out to first baseman Josh Bell. Victor Arano tossed a scoreless top of the seventh despite issuing a leadoff four-pitch walk of Jesus Aguilar and then giving up a double to Jorge Soler. Andres Machado in the top of the eighth did allow an unearned run, uh, but Erasmo Ramirez tossed a perfect top of the ninth inning. Game two for the Nats against the Marlins at Nationals Park, Wednesday night at 7.05. Eric Fetty will be the Nats' starting pitcher. We had a wild game for the Orioles on Tuesday night, a 12-8 loss at the New York Yankees in game one of a three-game series, a slugfest in the Bronx. Uh, now, the O's in this 2022 regular season did fall to 6-11, and 11, but the O's may be starting to hit here. Uh, the O's did hit pretty well in winning two or three games at the Los Angeles Angels this past weekend. The O's did hit on Tuesday night, eight runs, uh, now just seven hits, but two of them were three-run home runs. Somewhere, Earl Weaver was smiling. Uh, the O's worked four walks. The O's went four of six with runners in scoring position. Uh, Austin Hayes is the starting left fielder and number six batter, had a two-out three-run homer and a four-run Orioles eighth inning, also drew a walk. Anthony Santander as the starting right fielder and number two batter, had a one-out first pitch, three-run homer in the top of the sixth and a walk. Uh, What was not so good for the O's on Tuesday night was the pitching, as seen by the O's giving up 12 runs. And the bad pitching started with the starting pitcher. Uh, Jordan Lyles on Tuesday night got rocked. Uh, Lyles in this 12-8 loss at the Yankees allowed six runs in four and two-thirds innings. He gave up seven hits, three homers, a double and three singles. He issued one walk. He had three strikeouts. He threw 93 pitches over his four and two-thirds innings. And Lyles gave up two home runs to the same guy, uh, Yankees first baseman Anthony Rizzo, who finished the game with three home runs. Uh, Yeah, 
Anthony Rizzo owned the Orioles on Tuesday night. There was no question about that. Anthony Rizzo finished three for four with three home runs, a walk, six RBI, and four runs. But Lyles gave up his two homers to Rizzo, a two-out full count, three-run homer in the bottom of the third for a 3 nothing Yankees lead, and a one-out two-run homer on a 1-2 pitch in the bottom of the fifth for a 6 nothing Yankees lead. Uh, it was disappointing to see Lyles struggle as he did on Tuesday night. Lyles had been good in each of his previous two starts, but he did struggle in his first start in the 2022 regular season. Uh, Lyles in the Orioles' 5-3 loss at the Tampa Bay Rays on April 9th allowed five runs in five innings. But like I said, he had been good in each of his previous two starts. 2-1, 11-inning win over the Yankees at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on April 15th. Lyles allowed one run in five and a third innings. And Lyles in a one nothing win at the Oakland A's last Wednesday evening tossed five scoreless innings with six strikeouts. Uh, look, I don't have high expectations for Jordan Lyles this season, okay? The O's are Lyles' seventh major league team. Uh, Lyles signed with the O's in March as a free agent of having pitched for the Texas Rangers over the previous two seasons, 2020 and 2021. Lyles over the 2020 and 2021 regular seasons had an ERA of 560, okay? So my expectations are not sky high for Jordan Lyles, but uh, giving up those three homers, including the two, to Anthony Rizzo on Tuesday night, uh, that was rough. Uh, Also rough is this, the O's have placed Chris Ellis on the 10-day injured list. Uh, Chris Ellis is a starting pitching option for the O's. I mean, you know, I don't know that you're looking at him uh, to be the anchor of your rotation or anything like that, but the O's on Tuesday afternoon put Ellis on the 10-day injured list retroactive to April 25th with right shoulder inflammation. Uh, Ellis, as the Orioles' starting pitcher in their 7-6 loss at the Angels this past Sunday, gave up five runs, did not record a single out, and he ended up leaving the game with right shoulder discomfort. Uh, This is the second time in less than a year that Ellis has gone on the 10-day IL due to a right shoulder issue. The O's last September 28th placed Ellis on the 10-day injured list with right shoulder inflammation. Uh, The O's on April 19th selected the contract of Ellis from AAA Norfolk. He had a 2-1 loss at the A's on April 19th, tossed four into third scoreless innings. He wasn't dynamic, but the run prevention was there. And Ellis, in the 2021 regular season, over six starts for the O's at the major league level, did have an ERA at 249. So there's something there with Chris Ellis. How much of a something, we don't know, but he clearly has had issues here with his right shoulder. Game two for the O's at the Yankees Wednesday night at 7.05. Tyler Wells will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. Uh, One more thing on the O's. The number one prospect in the organization, the number two prospect in all of baseball per MLB pipeline, is back playing in games. Catcher Adley Rutschman, who was taken by the O's with the number one pick in the 2019 MLB draft out of Oregon State, who we know will be making his major league debut at some point this season, uh, assuming that he stays healthy. He's coming off having sustained a right tricep strain, and he on Tuesday night began a rehab assignment by playing in a game for the High A Aberdeen Ironbirds, uh, a 10-2 Ironbirds win over the Jersey Shore Blue Claws 
at Lighthouse Field at Ripken Stadium featured Adley Rutschman playing in his first game of 2022 and going one for two with a double, a walk, and a run scored. He caught five innings for the Ironbirds. This is what matters more than anything for the O's. A prospect like Adley Rutschman and what he could be for the O's for years to come. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 302, will be a special show, a special Commander's 2022 draft preview show. I'll give you my final thoughts on the Commanders going into the 2022 NFL draft. I'll have a special guest on the show. Brian Burke of ESPN Analytics. Uh, Brian is a football analytics pioneer. Brian devised so many of the advanced stats that you now hear and read about all of the time. Things like air yards and expected points added. And Brian has helped to develop ESPN's Draft Day Predictor, which is a statistical tool that gives you percent chances of a number of top prospects in the 2022 draft being available at various spots and the likelihoods of those players being drafted at various spots. So Brian and I will talk commander's draft. We'll talk NFL draft theory. We'll talk Carson Wentz. You know, Brian played a major role in the development of the ESPN total QBR stat. Uh, Wentz, as we've discussed, finished the 2021 regular season at number nine among all qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in total QBR. What does that mean? Could it be that Commander Carson is better than people think? So we're going to talk about a lot regarding the Commanders with one of the smartest people in the world of the NFL, Brian Burke of ESPN Analytics. Uh, Also on Thursday's show, we'll talk Nationals and Orioles, Game 2 for the Nats against the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park. We'll be on Wednesday night at 7.05. Game two for the O's at the New York Yankees will be on Wednesday night at 7.05. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. Uh, Well, that was an incident. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.